Hey everybody, it's Wednesday, September 23rd, and we say Wednesday surprisingly because we usually air an episode on Mondays, but today we're doing a special episode. I'm here with Michael Butera. He's my co-host today for a special edition of Chatting with Agnes and Cecilia. So welcome, Michael. Would you like to say hello and introduce yourself? Well, hello to everybody, uh, and it's uh, good to be with you. Uh, I'm a part of the Rogue Tulips uh Consultants Network, and I'm very uh, happy to be working with them. And we have some exciting news to share with everybody today. That's right. Thanks, Michael. Great segue, because today our special edition is about our new report, Nonprofit Organizations Respond to COVID-19. So we did this report. We just released it this week. And what it uh, reveals is a lot of interesting information, like Michael uh, hinted at. So the one thing that really jumped out at us is there's actually a sense of excitement and positivity toward the future. So I know Michael had a couple of points he wanted to raise based on the data. So I'm going to throw it over to Michael. Well, thank you very much. Uh, what's interesting is the questions that still need to be answered. I don't mean in a survey context, but uh, things like, uh, well, you know, what does it mean working in a remote environment? We know that people are doing it, and the survey certainly indicates that there was a, a dramatic shift to, to virtual uh, work. But what does this new environment mean for the culture of organizations and for the culture of the staff? Those questions are yet to be determined. And I think that uh, in addition to that, we can see some short and long-term interests that show up in the questions that are answered, you know, before uh, the March 1st timeline and after the March uh, 1st timeline. In fact, you might want to comment on that, uh, the, the idea of where membership uh, development sits in the context of what first happened to us with the pandemic and uh, after uh, that first uh, quarter in which we were all engaged. Yeah, that's, and that's actually some of the more interesting data, Michael. I agree. So we asked people to look at the period of January 1 till March 1 and let us know what were their major challenges. And membership, of course, recruitment, retention, and engagement is always on all of our minds in the nonprofit world. But what we saw after March 1 is that it dropped significantly as far as recruitment, retention, and engagement being an issue, but what increased was member service and value proposition as an issue and a challenge because people are reacting to how do you deliver that in a virtual environment. And I thought that was a very interesting split. Uh, another thing that I saw, because so many nonprofits rely so much on their staff, their professional executives to help them accomplish their goals and fulfill their mission, before March 1, staff didn't appear at all <laughs> as a challenge. Post-March 1, what we saw with staff management, retention, morale, and recruitment became a major challenge. And I think a lot of that has to do with the fact that uh, nonprofits were forced into the virtual world and it wasn't a choice. And there's a big difference. Like I was CEO at a virtual association. There are some virtual associations out there giving a quick shout out to Sharon Kneebone at National uh, Society of Histotechnology. They went completely virtual a few years ago, so they chose to go virtual. So that was a much smoother transition. And so I think that's where we're seeing a lot of these issues coming up with staff now, because there's also dealing with the virtual workplace and virtual culture. And this was something you had touched on in a previous conversation you and I had, Michael, about how, you know, what is culture 
in this environment? What are the cultural differences uh, between the in-person or hybrid environment and the virtual one? Yeah, just because we're physically distanced doesn't mean that we're emotionally distanced. Right. Uh, <laughs> So, so uh, how that's going to play out in this new environment is something that needs to be worked. And it should be something that it's worked on. It shouldn't just be, well, let's see what happens kind of routine. So I'm, I'm hoping that organizations will, you know, think about that as part of their future uh, of how they, how they are going to deal in this uh, crazy new world. Uh, you know, another thing about the before and after was, you know, as you mentioned, the shift to... Uh, virtual events and uh, virtual meetings and so forth and so on. But over time, you know, uh, I noticed that in the work, uh, two big things, that, you know, they're going to keep their staff, they're going to be here for a long time. Yes. And the third thing uh, was that they, they were pretty certain uh, that there's going to be a hybrid model that comes about, but they're not going to give up on in-person uh, activity uh, as we slowly come out of uh, uh, this uh, crisis that we find ourselves in today. Yeah, and I think that's an excellent point, and that's something I think has been a long time coming, and I think it's something we've all been tracking. I like to use myself as an example. I've been working virtually since 2003, so I like to joke around and say before it was cool. Uh, I was doing it, and there weren't a lot of models out there. There weren't a lot of people uh, that you could look to for advice or guidance or even model what you were doing. So you kind of had to figure it out as you were going along. But I think that we have seen the, the fact that so many webinars were being done virtually anyway. People were having virtual conference calls. Uh, because really, when you think about what does virtual mean, it means it's existing outside of the physical space. Well, we've been doing that for decades. Uh, I like to point out to people, the member experience has been virtual for pretty much since the beginning of time when you think about it, because you talk to people on the phone, you send them an email, maybe you do a webinar. Uh, we got to the point where we could do video calls like this, uh, but the member experience was not an in-person experience on a daily basis. The in-person experience on a daily basis was on the staff side. And I think a lot of times we kind of confuse that, you know, the staff experience and the member experience are not the same thing. And the way we interact with the association are, is completely different as well when we're staff versus being a member. So I think what a lot of leaders are looking at is how can I keep my staff motivated? How can I help them adjust at a time where it's not their choice to be stuck at home? Working and those those lines between home and work are now gone. And that's something that we've been hearing from people. Uh, we interviewed uh, previously on Chatting with Agnes and Cecilia, we interviewed Kevin Mayu of NAFA, who's their CEO, and he shared a lot of great ideas about how he's staying in touch with his staff and keeping their morale up. So you may want to check out that episode as well, uh, people in the audience. So Michael, you had also mentioned though, you had some concerns. You're, you're our governance expert here at Rogue Tulips. You had mentioned you had some comments and questions about the governance. What is this showing about governance within this data? Well, thanks for the question and the points you've already made. Uh, you know, they said, well, governance, you know, really didn't have a, a difficult time shifting to this because essentially it was forced upon them. But there are questions that we need to ask about what this means going forward. You know, um, when we talk about governance improvements and future thinking and so forth, 
because we're in an immediate crisis, people are you know, trying to handle what's going on right now, and the data shows that. But what happens when the immediate crisis drags on? What happens when we come out of that? kind of thinking and time is being spent with governance uh, on, on that part of the direction? And the other thing is, what does it mean for governance? Uh, what does it mean in terms of, of how governance will interact? You know, it's not just, you know, we have a meeting online, meaning the board online, but it's a question of how we find new ways to engage people in a virtual uh, environment that they really believe they're engaged, mm -hmm. uh, where one person doesn't dominate, where we question some of the uh, long-term traditions, or as some of our colleagues would say, orthodoxies of the governing mode. And I think that this now opens up an opportunity for us to have that more complex conversation uh, with governance about what it should look like in a 21st century environment where globalization, climate, demographics, the economy are all, you know, moving in different places to say nothing of something else that the survey points at, the need for us uh, to think about what it means to have good technology to use. Uh, yes. <laughs> I don't mean just the programs, but, you know, staff, you know, how, does the staff know how to use the technology? And what about our members? You know, what technology are, are uh, larger national and international associations going to help their chapters, uh, you know, use technology? How is this all going to play itself out? These are big issues that really need to be dealt with over an extended period of time. And now, before they become the next crisis, this is what we should talk about them. Let's don't wait for the hammer to come down. Let's try to deal with it in advance. Let's think about it. Yes, I agree. Did, did you have another point on governance and in the technology expertise? Well, I, I'm pretty convinced that, uh, particularly with these smaller associations, that we're going to have to find a way to have uh, you know, as we might say, innies and outies. Uh, what I mean by that, we need some, we need some inside people and the smaller enough people to run their own technology. They're, you know, they're going to have to find outside people. So the whole idea of finding competent folks that are going to help associations work their way through uh, one technology after another that, that's coming into play and the cost of maintaining it. You know, if we buy an automobile, we know we're going to have to change the oil, rotate the tires, you know, and fill it with gas. Somehow when, we, when organizations buy technology, they think they load it up and it works forever. Right. You know, they forget, they forget that if they have a phone, they usually get something every once in a while that says updating, you know, correcting it because somebody else is doing it for them. But on the governance and staff side, when it comes to technology, they have to be the ones that are willing to invest in it, know about it, learn, and, and transition from the, from the current makeup to new makeups. In the, uh, so uh, hopefully, you know, they'll work in that way. I was going to bring up another issue as well. And we were talking about the change to virtual events and the like. And uh, there is an issue about how we cost virtual events. And a lot of these organizations, yes, they shifted to virtual, yeah. but 
they didn't think they could charge as much as they used to. Uh, so there's some real questions here to think about. One, is it any less time consuming to plan for a virtual activity than it was for a, an on-site activity? Uh, and uh, of course we have a, a wonderful colleague of ours uh, who deals with sponsorships. So what kind of new sponsorships are gonna occur as a result of, uh, of this new environment? So uh, Bruce who's on our team, uh, it really gives us an opportunity to explore this issue. Yeah. I don't know if you have other questions along that line, but I think these are big ones that need to be uh, dealt with for, for the future well-being and resiliency of the organizations. I think we definitely need to re-examine governance simply because it is an old model. And sometimes I have been known to say that we're working with too many 19th century models. And, and it's true. Uh, you still have people who you can't change the bylaws unless you have an in-person member meeting. That's very 19th century. Uh, anybody out there who's a fan of the PBS series Victoria, you may recall an episode where Prince Albert went to a big convention and the convention went on for several months because people didn't travel very much then. And so a lot of things were done in person because they had the time to stay there. Uh, we don't do that anymore. So there's some models like that that are still hanging on out there. Uh, the, in some 20th century models, uh, doing too many things on email, we don't do a lot of stuff on text necessarily. Um, I definitely agree that technology needs to be reviewed and updated. And I think people need to keep their technology systems cleaner. Because oh. what people tend to do is they pile on, pile on, pile on. Uh, where the organization where I was a CEO uh, for a, about a year and a half, when I came in, the first directive I received was to clean up operations because the technology infrastructure was a mess. It was just a patchwork quilt of different systems that didn't talk to each other, that were never updated. You made me think of this, Michael because they were using a software system for their website that they were six updates behind. And so we couldn't use it for meeting register or we couldn't update it because they were afraid it would crash before the yeah. meeting registration because they were so far behind. And so we ended up going through yes. eliminating things. The, a lot of these free services, people add those on like Asana, which I'm, you know, it's a great task management thing, but if you're already using Office 365 or Microsoft Exchange, that's already built in. You don't need to add on Asana. So you have people and they add these things on because they think it's a good idea because they, to your point, don't understand how to use the technology they already have. And so that's the sort of thing that I think we really need to look at. It's like, if you're adding something, what are you taking away? Exactly. You know, and there, you know, in our business, uh, measurement is a difficult thing to begin with. It shouldn't be, but it is. And that doesn't mean that we don't think about the qualitative things that come with the emotional connections and uh, community building that goes on in the association community. But all those things need to be dealt with. And I think the survey, uh, the survey shows us that all of that is at play. Uh, my concern is whether or not the play will be in thought through, you know, is built for us to consider, or are we going to wait for the next great tragedy to come before we, before we take action? So we need to, we need to really work on, you know, improving professional development for our staff, improving 
board knowledge and development in the context of a 21st century. We need to, you know, advocacy is going to remarkably change as a result of this. Um, But it might be improved in the sense that there'll be more people in the hinterlands that actually engage with, uh, you know, legislative staffs and people in a virtual environment. But of course, that is a major cultural shift. And I don't think we should just think of uh, being virtual as just another meeting. Uh, No, it's different to meet uh, electronically than it is to meet in person. And we need to we need to work our way through this uh, as we go. Well, we certainly have uh, I hope um, put us in a position where people are going to want to take a look at the survey. And you know, uh, I'd be uh, I'd be remiss if I didn't mention that this is a special time for Rug Tulips. This is our second anniversary. And, uh, you know, that's one of the reasons that this report was done, thanks to, uh, you know, it is your creation. And uh, it's been uh, just a wonderful uh, opportunity for Rogue's Tulip to demonstrate its value and uh, our desire to assist organizations in building a better future for themselves and their members. So thanks for all your work on that, Cecilia. Oh, great. Well, thank you, Michael. It's been, uh, it's been a fun time so far, and I was very pleased to be able to get our report out this week in honor of the second anniversary. Uh, Rogue Tulips started out as a very different idea of putting together a consulting consortium of other solo consultants so that we could work together and build the unique team that uh, nonprofit organizations might need to help them accomplish a project or reach a goal that they've set for themselves. And uh, when I tried to explain this to people, they would sometimes say, well, I partner with other consultants, but we were the first ones to basically base our company on the gig economy. And that's where this whole idea came from. And a few weeks ago, I saw somebody posted on LinkedIn, oh, I have just joined a consulting collaborative. And it was very much the same model. So I'm very pleased that the idea is catching fire after a couple of years. And I think it's one of the things that the pandemic's probably pushing forward. So it's, uh, and I know Michael and I, uh, we're, we're doing a little longer episode today than we usually do because we're celebrating our report. And I just uh, want to thank Michael for being part of today's special episode. And I encourage everybody to check out Rogue Tulips at roguetulips.com. And you can download a copy of our report. It's a celebration gift to the community. Uh, so there's no fee attached. Please download it and share it with all your friends and family. Makes a great gift uh, <laughs> for anyone you know in the nonprofit world. You can get the report at roguetulips.com backslash resources. We also have a resource on strategic planning and nonprofit organizations you can also uh, look at and you can find a link to our playlist of all of our episodes of chatting with Agnes and Cecilia, although today it's chatting with Michael and Cecilia, which is always great fun. So thanks again, Michael. Cecilia brings a lot better look. (laughs) I don't know about that some days. But thank you for that. Uh, but no, it's it's been great. And we have found what, what Michael and I want to make sure everybody realizes is in the, in the first weeks of this pandemic, we were all very nervous. We thought a lot of nonprofit organizations would disappear within a few months. But they did not disappear. And they're actually still standing and standing strong and looking toward the future. And what I want to close on today is 
100% of the people who completed our survey believe their organization will still be here in three years. And I think that says something about the resilience of the nonprofit world, its support for each other, and our commitment to the professionalism that is this business specialty of nonprofit management. So on that note, we're gonna sign off for today. Oh, I'm sorry, Michael, you have another comment? No, I was just gonna say, I hope everybody follows the lead and goes and uh, downloads the material. It's been great being with you today. And I know that they'll enjoy uh, seeing this episode Foods provides. Excellent. Well, thank you, Michael. And on behalf of Michael and myself and Rogue Tulips, thanks for watching and or listening if you're listening to us on your favorite podcast service. And we'll be back with our regular schedule next week. Thanks, everyone. So long.